So as we go into this, I want to um, start out with asking um, each of the small business um, that's here today, um, how has this impacted your organization and um, what is your plan for recovering from it, if any, the COVID side? Uh, interestingly enough, COVID did not impact us in a bad way. I mean, we grew from, um, from the COVID period until now, we've probably grown about 1,600%. Um, and I think what, what was different for us, you know, prior to COVID, you really, we, we did a lot of relationship building. I and mean, people talk a lot about, you know, when you're doing business, people do business with people they uh, know, like, and trust. Um, and I do think, I do believe that's, that's true. Um, but we did a lot of going out to organizations, doing outreach. Um, but what I can say is that we never really want any work that way, <laughs> going out doing outreach. So when COVID happened and there was no way that you could go out anymore, um, we, we went to something that, um, a model where we would just reach out to contracting officers, tell them of our interests, offer them an opportunity, for, uh, offer them um, for us to come out and talk about our capabilities. So we grew exponentially, um, and it was more organic. It was less about, okay, we met face-to-face, -face, you like me, so you're going to give me some work. It was more about, we did, I mean, we did um, that, that contract stalking. You know, we, we did our due diligence, research and opportunities. Uh, we reached out, we made ourselves known to organizations, uh, and we were able to build like that. So uh, I, I was just sharing on a panel recently that at the end of, at the end of, um, at the end of 2019, which is right ahead of COVID, we were probably under, still under a million dollars uh, in revenue. And last year we were over $11 million in revenue. So that's, we grew substantially in that time period. And a lot of that was just pure organic growth, but also the organizations we got in, we were able to build within an organization because once you go into an organization, you make yourself known um, and you do the, the work that needs to be done, then they spread your name. So that, that, that's a big deal too. You go into, uh, you, you know, as a small business, you wanna make sure you do what you say you're gonna do because that's how your name gets passed along to other organizations. It's, it's ironic that um, Deidre and I had actually the opposite uh, happen during COVID. Uh, prior to COVID, we were doing about seven and a half million a year. And then we lost a number of contracts due to the convenience of the government during COVID. A lot of the work that we were doing were uh, around technology solutions and enhancements. And those types of, of functions got redirected during uh, that, the COVID period. And so, we lost a few of the contracts, but what we did something a little bit uh, interesting during that time, is, and it goes back to relationship management. We had um, some relationships with people who were integrated in the medical field in PPEs. And so we signed a teaming agreement with uh, other companies, and we actually sold PPEs to the federal government nice. and to commercial entities, uh, diversifying our portfolio, but we lost um, from seven and a half went down to under three million, and then, but we subsidized a, a, a number of, of those um, contracts with the with the addition of the PPEs during that time frame. So that that's one thing. But you know, more interestingly, Eric, I'd like to to respond to the uh, twenty-seven and a half or twenty-seven point two uh, number that they that they put out. It's really interesting because 
it, you know, what, what I'm seeing on the street, and you know, we've got contracts from San Diego to Florida and across the country, and uh, oftentimes these numbers, I, I wonder how they're calculating them, and maybe Jimmy will talk about it. Absolutely. But, um, you know, what I'm seeing is that these contracts are not necessarily going to, especially uh, black-owned businesses through the 8A program or through service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses, but rather they're being aggregated on what they call GWACs, and makes it more convenient for the government to issue those. And um, I really believe that there needs to be a, a education program for the cores. And I think you talked about that with the uh, uh, contracting officer representatives so that they understand that they don't have to go through the traditional methodology of research, uh, market research, uh, um, doing all of the 18 months worth of, of uh, of research to determine whether you can do the job or not. Uh, and that's what the program was designed to do. So I'd just like to, to mention sure. that as part of sure. that 27.2. So, so thank you both. Um, as a small business myself, um, I will say that um, I was very courageous because I started my business right in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of people can't say that they trended upward. And so we did as well, like Ms. Windsor here, we actually progress and have grown as well. But I wanna give the small business office a rep opportunity to respond to this. And then what we're gonna do, because I wanted to get the panel moving forward, um, just to kind of get everybody juices a little, going a little bit. I didn't have everybody introduce themselves on purpose, but after the, he answers this question, each one of the panelists will tell you more about who they are. Okay. Thank you. All right, well, well, thank you very much for the, for the question, first and foremost, and the privilege of, uh, of being here. Representing the Department of the Navy, uh, my office is responsible for making sure that small businesses get an opportunity to do business with the Department of the Navy. And fostering those opportunities is what my office does. Um, since we've been keeping data on how much small business performance we've had through the Navy since around the 2013 timeframe, we've increased our spend about 42% on small businesses serving as primes. So what was once $13 billion going to small businesses serving as prime has now gone up to $20 billion going to you directly as prime contractors working for the government and work for the Department of the Navy. And I don't see a reason that that number needs to stop increasing. During COVID, that was the highest watermark we had until last year. Because the pivot of the, of the Navy, we needed PPE like nobody's business. No one said bring all the ships and submarines and aircraft carriers back to port. We're going to tie them up till we get through COVID. We didn't do that. We had to support the warfighter up front, and we hit the demand signal. Small businesses respond like nobody's business. But there was a challenge with that because a lot of folks went into, as an example, making hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. What well, the things that they were doing? They stopped doing, mm -hmm. <laughs> and now that should have fostered another opportunity for industry to pick up where there's a gap. So I would highly encourage small businesses that look at the landscape and the portfolios that we're buying from. When you see everybody move in one direction, they just left gaps wide open. We still need fulfilled. No one ever said that I needed all the other stuff to turn off just because I shifted my focus to PPE, primarily regarding COVID. But it was it, it was refreshing to watch everybody move and America respond. That was amazing. But I actually had to go back and pay some original manufacturers who stopped doing certain things 15, 18 years ago wow. 
and I had to pay them to reconstitute a production line that they stopped doing 15 years ago because everybody left the market and no other small businesses jumped in to pick up those things that were gapped. No one said, again, stop supporting the warfighter. So we paid some handsome prices to get larger industry partners to do things that they had stopped doing because small business had picked them up in the interim. So the conduit, the, the, the folks that you know Kitty need to get to know if you're a small business is that Office of Small Business Programs for that respected agency that you're trying to work with. If you aren't using them and going through them to get to those contracting officers and program managers, you're missing it. You're just trying. You can actually be successful by having someone vouch for you as I've seen the capability sheet, I've done research on that company in the local community, I understand what they can do by way of their CPARs and how they performed. Now, let's go turn it into an opportunity for buyers on my side. And we're serious about it. Um, we, we've tilted at so many windmills, like when it comes to the 8A program, I went over to, well, let me back up a little bit. The Secretary of the Navy now was a small business owner for 17 years okay. before he became the Secretary of the Navy. <laughs> and then he was a ship driver prior to that. So my boss, my literal boss, one step up from me is him. Uh, he's keenly interested in making sure small businesses get an opportunity to participate. And all of those lessons learned that he had and all of those burns that he received as a small business owner, I get to make sure that they don't happen to anybody else. So I'm doing push-ups in front of this man all the time <laughs> to make sure that you have a better and easier path to go down. But as an example of one of the things that we did regarding the 8A program, I called over to the Small Business Administration. Administrator Guzman, who was best friends with the Secretary of the Navy, called her up. I need a list of all of the companies that have never won a federal contract in the mm. 8A program. I got a list of over 1,400 companies, 1,400. It blew my mind that that many companies are in that program and they have never had an opportunity to do workforce, primarily because you don't have past performance. Well, I contacted the PCRs out in the field. I said, can you vouch for any of these 1,400 companies on this list as they're doing great things either in the local community or they're doing it for state, local government activities? And they're like, yeah, we know companies that you should be putting to work also. I've got PCRs vouching for small businesses that are now earning opportunities to do business with the Navy only because there's a relationship there. If you aren't fostering a relationship with your PCRs in your local community, you're missing the conduit that we're using to reach out to who can do things that we're interested in having done. That's how I'm getting past you don't have any past performance with us. Is so that someone's you, vouching for you. So can you explain what a PCR is? Uh, PCRs are those procurement, uh, I use it as a, a noun from time to time. Uh, they work for the Small Business Administration. They're out in the field and they're there to help small businesses foster opportunities in your local hometowns, your Is communities. Like P-TAC? Uh, no, these are procurement contracting, contracting representatives that work for the SBA, work for the Small Business Administration. Okay. Okay. If you don't know them, you got to get to know them. P-TACs, or now they're called Apex Accelerators, you have to get to know them as well because we're using people as our trusted government agents, as people in the middle of getting to me that they're that connective tissue between you and, and the federal government. Thank you. So with the questions and the comments that we just had made, right, um, one of the ones I would like to 
punt back to Mr. Smith is um, when you talked about everything that the Navy's doing to help small businesses, um, can we talk about one of your contract vehicles? Some sure. of your contract vehicles? Sure. So um, I know as a small business that's trying to break into the Navy's um, marketplace, um, there's some limitations with the seaport um, vehicle where if you don't have the past performance or if you've never been on a contract or done any work before, um, you're not allowed to actually enter into that market. Can you explain what the Navy is doing to, to correct that? So we have a, a number of tools in the toolbox. Those large IDIQ contracts are one mechanism to do business with us. We also have contracts that are below the acquisition threshold. So we're spending 35000 50000 on opportunities, and that's an entirely different website you can go to to earn that business from a small-scale standpoint. But our seaport contracts, that's my biggest primarily uh, IDIQ contract where we brought, last time we opened up seaport, we brought 1,800 new small businesses onto that contract. And now we've closed up who's on it, and we're basically issuing task orders for everybody on that opportunity. But again, we cast the net for the work that we have forecasted. We got 1,800 companies. So we're now working with those 1,800 companies to have work take place. But work also can be offshoot from that. I have a long-range acquisition forecast that we have posted on my website, my Department of the Navy Office of Small Business website. I'm forecasting out six years into the future for opportunities. I'm telling you today that this particular solicitation is planned to go out fourth quarter FY24. And if you aren't using strategic planning to get yourself ready to make a great bid on that opportunity when it comes out, you're missing an opportunity. If you aren't connecting to me to then connect you to the program offices and the program managers who own those requirements, you're missing an opportunity. Just waiting for it to come out and now I'm gonna bid on it without building a relationship ahead of time. All of your competition are building relationships with people well in advance of solicitations hitting the street. So again, I have transparency. The Department of the Navy is doing this unlike many other agencies are doing, let alone fellow service members like the Air Force and the Army. We're giving you transparency that you have never had in the past before. And that long range acquisition forecast each of my 10 major buying commands, every three to six months, they update their long range forecast. This solicitation is going out. Here's a description of it. Here's how we plan to issue it. It's gonna be a woman owned set aside. It's gonna be a service disabled veteran. It's gonna be hub zone. We give you all of those details. You can search my database by NICS code, by keyword. I don't know how to make it any easier because I've heard from industry about all of the shortcomings with what you can't get from us and we've broken down those barriers to make sure that you have it from the Department of the Navy standpoint. So Thank again, you. let me help you. SES Smith, is that a, uh, that was a, the website you just mentioned, the forecast, the long range forecast, yes. that, that's a publicly searchable uh, Publicly site. searchable website. All you have to do is Google Don for Department of Navy, Don, D-O-N space O-S-B-P, Office of Small Business Programs, the first link that pops up takes you to my website. Once you're on my website, pull down the menu that says doing business with the Don. Halfway down that list, it says long range acquisition forecast. And then you can go into each one of my 10 major buying commands. And that Excel spreadsheet for that organization's long range forecast is right there. So that's about three or four steps to get to that complete transparency. Now, I will warn you, 
The first time we put this forecast together, I had 89 Excel spreadsheet pages at the five font level of solicitation. <laughs> 89, so don't search it by hand. <laughs> search it by next code, search it by keyword for what you're looking for. And, and the Navy set up in a very segmented fashion. If you wanna know what we're doing regarding things that fly, you go into the NAV air portal. If you want to go to things that are going ships, submarines, and aircraft carriers, you go to the NAV-C portal. If you're in the IT, you go to NAV-WAR. If you're into science, technology, research and development, the SBR program, you go into the Office of Naval Research portal. And each one of those portals has their long-range acquisition forecast on it. Did that answer your question, sir? Yeah. <laughs> so now he didn't tell us about that one special website that they have where they're um, under $50,000, that special website. So the one special website that you can go to is Nico, N-E-K-O. It's C. C, And that's where you'll find those solicitations below the acquisition threshold. Those are the small micro-purchases type opportunities. Thank you. So um, you mentioned 8A um, during your um, um, remarks, Mr. Smith. Yep. And so we just happen to have a couple of 8A companies here. And I don't know if you're still in the program or, or not. Um, but I would like for the small businesses to speak a little bit. But be when, before you speak, can you tell me a little bit about your business before you speak about your 8A process? OK. Uh, so my business is Windsor Group LLC. We are a small professional services firm based out of Bethesda, Maryland. Um, we provide um, IT support, project and program management, uh, some data analytics, and we do a lot of staff augmentation, which simply means um, a customer may say, we need 10 people to do X, Y, Z. We provide those people. They work for our company, um, but they work for our company on behalf of the client. Um, well, actually, they work for the client on behalf of Windsor Group. All right, so um, I'm Hayes Fountain. I'm a CEO and president of a company called Widescope Consulting and Contracting. Uh, we were founded April 9th of 2014, so we're coming up on our nine-year anniversary. Um, I, and I just want to kind of identify with, uh, with the rest of the audience here. You know, I'm, I'm a former um, Bayer Award winner, and so I've sat in the, in the chair where you guys are, and I, I was a part of Bayer in the very early days when they started in the early 90s. <clears throat> Uh, and so, you know, growing from being a submarine officer, I went to Hampton and then went off to be a, a nuclear submarine officer, traveled around the world, then decided to, uh, to get out and went to work for Black Entertainment Television. And so met a guy named Bob Johnson. Don't know if you guys know who he is or not, but uh, at one time was the uh, richest black man in, in, in the nation. Uh, did a deal with uh, Viacom for $3.3 billion to integrate um, BET with VH1, MTV, and uh, CBS. Uh, left there and then went to Turner Broadcasting and helped this guy named Ted Turner um, do a uh, acquisition of Court TV to make it into True TV and launched a number of other brands there. And what, what I, I found was that through that, I wanted to transcend myself from being a technical expert in some specific field to being a leader. And I got so much fulfillment out of leading people that I, uh, you know, my last job uh, working for someone else, Deidre, mm -hmm. was a CIO of Ion Media. And I recognized while I was there that my real passion was around serving the people that worked for me. And so I started Widescope 
uh, found out very quickly that all the people that you've helped along the way may not help you when you have your own business. Oh, that's a good one right there. It, it is excellent. That's excellent. Excellent. It certainly was a, a, a real life lesson. And so I reached back out into my roots of the, of the military, realized that I had some specialty categories, you know, service disabled veteran, as well as the 8A program. Uh, signed up for the 8A program, which it takes two years, at least the time when I did it, you need to be in business for at least two years before you can apply to the program, unless you have some extenuating circumstances that show that you have this one gadget or this one process that the government needs now, and the only way to get to you is the 8A. So you need a waiver to, to waive those, uh, those two years, some, responding to something you asked earlier. Uh, received that uh, certification in the 8A program, <clears throat> and it's been it's been a, a whirlwind, and, you know. And I, I I I bust Jimmy's chops a little bit because, <laughs> you know, th the program was actually designed to help people who look like us in this room, you know, when it was put in place to help you, us to compete with the majority members of society who had a leg up on us. The typical uh, uh, you know long pole in the tent is getting access to the people who are the decision makers around funding and execution. And so, you know, Jimmy talked really well about the uh, PCRs. You know, they have a, a wonderful job getting them, holding them accountable, and helping them to, to align with your strategy and getting execution is the challenge that we have as business owners. And right. so, Particularly uh, minorities. Exactly, particularly because what often, too often happens is we walk in the room and we say, you know, I mean, I've been pretty well accomplished, nuclear submarining, you know, you know, VP of BET and, 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 and Turner Broadcasting, but you walk in and, and they look at you like, who are you? Who are you? you know, um, but when you've done these types of things, whether it's integrating all these systems and satellites for CBS and for, for BET and, and, and uh, Turner Broadcasting, well, hell, you can figure out some things on the local <laughs> level on a base in, in California. You know, and so, uh, and, and that's where it, it comes uh, to your ability to, to um, you know, make a name for yourself. I call it brand me, you mm -hmm. know. So when people think about you or talk about you when you're not in the room, what are they saying about you? Yes. And so that's been instrumental. I hope I've answered your question about the 8A program and at least my plight. I'm in the program until 2027 and looking uh, forward to, you know, continuing to grow. Thank you. Thank you. So before... You let the government talk about it. Um, um, I would like to just introduce myself as well. My name is Erica Dobbs. I'm the CEO of Dobbs Event Solutions. We're a cybersecurity and enterprise IT organization. And to elaborate a little bit on what my panelists have spoke about in regards to the 8A program, um, I did not wait two years to get my 8A. I was actually um, responding to a demand signal from the government that said, Erica, we need you to get your 8A because we need your expertise. And so, as I was talking to Admiral uh, Watson about yesterday, about how the Navy trains you to put in a waiver for everything. So I'm retired Navy, I did 36 and a half years in the Navy. And so what I learned was that if someone tells me no, I'm gonna put a waiver in and I'm gonna force them to say yes or no, right? So what I did as a, a, a new company is that I formulated my um, waiver and I submitted it to the SBA and guess what? They said yes, we'll approve it because it's a rarity that most people even challenge the, the processes or the government regulations. And so if you don't do it, you never know whether or not you're gonna get approved, right? Absolutely. So I just wanna expound on that. And then being, a, being in the IT field, I just wanna elaborate on Ms. Windsor earlier when she was talking about um, 
the needing her information to be on a reel. Mm -hmm. And so that leads into one of our questions that we have today when we're talking about the emergent technologies and opportunities that we have today and rebuilding it, you know, our sagging US environment and infrastructure, and more importantly, the sustainability with doing projects. And then more importantly, how many of you in the room, I see a lot of millenniums in the room, how many of you have been using chat GPT? Anybody? Yeah, see? And how many of you have been using DALI E.2? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? How about the metaverse? How many of you have been using the metaverse? You know, like Bea today is on the metaverse. See, we have some, stand up, sir, and let them see. We have a retired admiral in the room using the metaverse. And I have, and I have this young crowd looking at me like, what you talking about? <laughs> talking about the metaverse. And then more importantly, you know, we have cybersecurity, we have artificial intelligence. And so today, these products are really intriguing. And what we need to do, I want my panelists to talk to me about is, how are you posturing your business to utilize these emergent, this emergent technology to take your company to the next level? Um, and I'm going to start. Don't start with me. Start so, so, so start with I'm going to start with Mr. Jimmy. I'm going to let him talk about the Navy version. But what I'm going to do with my panel today, my panel keep going rogue on me. Have you guys noticed that? I asked them a question. And they go on a tangent about something that I didn't even ask them about. So what I'm going to do today is, if I ask y'all a question and you don't apply by the rules, I'm going to cut you off and start over again. I'm going to go to somebody else. So here we go. So my question is about emerging technology. And then we're going to talk about some of the pros and cons of it, because this is really critical today. And um, it's changing the way we do business right now. So Mr. Jimmy, I want to talk about the, how the Navy is using it. Sure. So as you all know, those tools, those things that make our lives easier, the Navy, the Department of Defense, we want them as well. Now, we may move a lot slower than everybody else is because we've got to move an entire Navy in that direction to adopt some of these technologies from time to time. But I want them just as much as everybody else does. And the opportunity to go faster, to make people's lives easier so that they can do more with, with, with tools that they actually have to be effective, highly encourage it, want it like nobody's business. I want the warfighters to never be in a fair fight. And if I can use artificial intelligence, machine learning to make their lives easier, to make sure that they get back to their families, I want to go off and do it. We have Mr. Alonzi Scott sitting right back there in the back. Raise your hand there, Mr. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Scott works for the Office of Naval Research. That particular organization is responsible for that futuristic fight. Not the fight tomorrow, the fight five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. So they work in that future space all the time, every single day, to make sure that when we get there as a nation, we're already proficient at it. So got somebody here in the room that works in that space. So if you want more information, talk to Lonzi in that regard. But, but, but just getting through life with artificial intelligence, machine learning, like, does anybody in here do your taxes? Anybody do taxes? I see a bunch of young people yeah. here. They probably don't do taxes yet. Um, <laughs> I remember doing taxes when I started out. Right. You filled out that form by hand and doing the calculator and doing the math. Now you got TurboTax and things like that to just make it so much easier for, the, for you to clip through. We love it. We like it. We're never going back to how things used to be, and those things need to be further invested in. I encourage small businesses, come make my life easier. Come give me tools and resources and abilities to make the warfighters' life easier or those that are supporting the warfighter lives easier. Those things, great traction, you're hitting some of my pain points, and you're making my pain points go away, and we pay to have that advancement take place in our, in our world. 
So uh, hope Thank that you. answers your question without Thank diverting you. Do you guys any tangents. No? I'd, I'd love to. I think that AI and ML are going to be a, a integral part of our future. So one of the things we've done at WideScope is partnered with a, another black-owned business out of Atlanta doing smart technologies using AI and ML for uh, uh, new home and community build-outs. And so, you know, we've leveraged technology alongside construction and con uh, uh, we kind of virtualized this thing called One Dig. So when the construction company goes in and does the dig for the foundation, we put in fiber optic cabling, we put in uh, data centers, and we put in the infrastructure in order for that home and or community to actually be able to, uh, to, to be smart. Because smart is not about uh, today, it's about being ready for the future. Moore's Law talks about you know the rapid change of technology and being prepared for it. And so that's one of the things we've done. You know, uh, I'm going to hit Jimmy again up in the head here. Is that you know a couple of years ago we talked to uh, uh, to the Navy about AI and ML for uh, for training yeah. out in uh, uh, Pack Fleet. Right. And to your point, you know the Navy moves very slowly. Right. So we've been able to do this more quickly on the commercial side. Right. And so as a small business owner, it's really important to be nimble. We're able to do that on the commercial side pretty quickly, um, but standing in the gap, waiting for the Navy to That's turn good. the ship right. to be able to, to it, put AI and it, ML in the train. And just to go down that path, we don't want to be your only customer. We want to be someone who benefits from those great things that you're doing, because I don't want to pay the whole freight. The taxpayers don't want to pay the freight of being the first one to go through. So having other opportunities to bring in money to your industry, highly diversify yourself and your ability to do business. So let me let me plug something in. So what are you doing for um, the roadblocks for acquisition? Like, you know, how you have um, emerging technologies that are coming into the DOD, sure, but sure. it hasn't been, um, haven't been fed wrapped or... Haven't sure. gone through the proper um, ATOs and certifications. What, what is the Navy doing for that? So one of the things we're doing going down that path is that we have other tools in the toolbox that allow us to go fast. Other transactional authorities are those things that allow us to go fast. So it's a non-typical federal acquisition regulation contract. If I see something that's out there that I want, we now have mechanisms where we can just go buy it. Go buy it, bring it forward, demonstrate it. Let's see if we can actually put it to use with military purpose. And then, to, but to go buy 5,000 of them or 50,000 of them, I need to go back down the normal path of what the federal government provides, you know, for the entire country. I've got to go with Congress. i got to set a budget. Two years later, I get the money. That process is its process. But in parallel, we could be running the OTAs, other transactional authorities, to bridge the gap between you giving me something and me buying it in large quantities once I get it programmed into the budget. But the federal government's budget budgetary process isn't the most expedient thing on the planet. <laughs> it is slow. And I mean, who runs a business where I know I need something two years from now. Let's say I need it today. I should have asked for it two years ago in order to get it into the budget. But if you show up on my doorstep with a brand new technology today, if I'm going to ask Congress for that money in order to pay for it to make it make it come to life, I don't get that money for another two years if it passes the budget, if it survives the top line, bottom line cut. So there's a lot of things in the budget. Uh, we hope to further those things that make us faster and more efficient, but oftentimes they're sacrificed for other priorities. Thank you. 
So we have a question on the floor, sir. Yes, ma'am. So good morning, panelists. Thank you guys for sharing your vast knowledge. My name is Tyler Henry. I'm a sophomore mechanical engineer major from Howard University. So something I want out of my undergrad is I would like to become well-rounded in the field of engineering innovation. Gotcha. So if you guys can share with me any books or any sources of innovation or emerging technology that you guys read that develop you guys' knowledge. Um, I think it's important uh, for myself, uh, you know, we do a lot of, of research on the internet, no longer buying magazines and, and things like that, but um, there is a, um, uh, God, I'm trying to think of, Shelly Palmer. Shelly Palmer has a, a podcast and um, all around technology and the evolution uh, and revolution of technology. He's out of um, Las Vegas. Uh, and typically puts out something weekly. But again, his name is Shelley Palmer. Um, also, um, from a system engineer standpoint, you want to actually um, find companies that are in that space that you can actually reach out to. Um, one of the things I would tell you to do while you're in school is to get your generalized training done for um, certifications. So there are a couple of websites you can go to. One is called the SANS Institute, S-A-N-S Institute. And that would actually prepare you for whatever aspect of system engineering you want to go into. Because there are also the professional side where you're just doing like the administrative side of it or the um, policy piece. And then there's the actual hands-on side, right? So when you decide if you want to do the no-joke engineering, engineering side or the soft skill portion of it, um, that will actually help you with your certifications. There's another website called CompTIA. CompTIA is another website to go to, and you will start out with just getting the basic certification called A+, Network+, um, C+, and then you will go to Security+. Those sites will actually have um, information for you to grow. There's another website called Udemy, U-D-U-M-D-E-Y or U-D-M-E-Y. Udemy is for anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a system engineer, software engineer, or if you're in an administrative field. What it does is it gives you um, online, 45-minute little podcast or 30-second training, it, it goes at whatever length of attention span that you have. And it will actually prepare you, once you do all of your training, it will actually have another section that will actually give you the testing side of it. So it actually does testing prep as well. So, And then remember the uh, panel talked about relationships. So you want to find someone in that space, a company that can support you in that space. Um, that's in my sphere wheelhouse, so if you would like to talk to me offline when the panel's over, I'll be more than happy to help you with that. Did they answer your question? Yes, ma'am. Okay, very good. Thank well, you. I, I know Mr. Scott is burning back there with a, with a book, <laughs> an author. And I'm sure there's some books as well. <laughs> so, young man, don't stand there. No, I'm a big fan of reading books uh, because I think that's a, probably one of the best ways to gain knowledge. One of the best books I've ever read in management it's a book called High Output Management by one of the most famous people in America, Andy Grove. Mm -hmm. You know who Andy Grove was? No, sir. You know a company called Intel? Yes. He founded it. Wow. Mm. Okay. In that book, Andy Grove talks about his management practice, which is your output is equal to the influence and impact you have on people around you, people who work for you, and that's how he led that company. And in addition to that, what he also did was he taught people all the time as a leader in that organization. So read that one. 
And then the second book I would give you is called Smart Machine Age by Lester. And it talks about how we're moving into this new technology world. And I think you'll find those two books absolutely beneficial. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Thank awesome. you. There's actually another book out that's basically just talking about um, beginning of system engineering. Like you can actually go on Amazon and find it as well. It's called Beginning of System Engineering, Software Engineering System Engineering. So thank you, um, Mr. Wizard. Do you want to tap on anything else? That was related to the um, technology, or you want to pass on it? No, I mean I, I am um, I'm with Hayes on this. Um, you know, you you almost have to be looking at commercial. I'm looking at Admiral Watson because I know he harps on street. that. He talks about you you have street. to be looking on the commercial side because because DoD and this is just government technology. I mean, we're still struggling with stuff like Zoom, like the whole <laughs> pandemic happened and people are still struggling on getting, like we can't, we're in an agency right now, National Science Foundation, where in one, we have like five contracts there. One area, one contract, we started working on Smartsheet and we got it approved. We're in the same agency, like these are two small, uh, lower level entities, where the other organization, we can't even get the authority to operate smart sheets. Yeah. So you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, it doesn't even make sense. So really, if you want to move fast, if you really are itching to get into all of the new technologies, uh, the government is not the space that you're gonna jump into and that's gonna happen really quickly. Now, now think about the pandemic though. You see how quickly we did come online with things like Zoom and Teams and things like that? That would have taken 10 years. But something happened that forced us to figure out a better way to do business. Um, so yeah. That's my next question. Yeah, so you definitely have to be looking. You gotta be willing to look at both sides. Like right now, we're primarily government, but we're absolutely looking at how do we cross the street. And we, you know, obviously there's a timeline for that because it takes time and it takes resources. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I do wanna make sure that everybody in the room understand what the, um, the chat, um, GPT and metaverses, right? So I don't want to just throw those acronyms out there and you not know what they are. So when you're looking at chat GPT today, um, most of them, I know there's like an actual article out on Dateline um, talking about some of the perks and some of the, you know, the pros and cons of it. So some of the perks is that as a business owner, say you want to do marketing, you can say, um, hey, I would like to do marketing on this subject right here in less than three, ready? Three minutes. You have a full write-up, 20-page, whatever you want to have on how to do that. So the, the, the con is that um, most school students today that are in college have also discovered ChatGPT, right? <laughs> and so what they're doing is they're using ChatGPT to actually write their papers for them. They right. have a subject. They give the artificial intelligence software solutioning. Some of them taking notes. Y'all see I'm taking notes in here? These college students, they writing this down. Uh -huh. Get through that term paper. Uh -huh. I'll help you with that term paper. So what is, what chat GPT is that? It's an artificial, it's a logarithm that allows you to actually challenge and it pulls the resources from all over the world. So it's, a, it's really like a repository that pulls in data from everywhere and it gives it to you in a matter of a second. But now there's a lot of, a lot of security risks with this and a lot Absolutely. of problems that could take place, Absolutely. especially when it comes to the, the government and secure information. Absolutely. So for the government to pivot to these different resources, it's gonna be a challenge because they have to have the right security mechanism in place to actually do that. 
The same thing with the metaverse. Like when you look at Bea today, Bea is using the metaverse right now. You have the metaverse, you know, the, the um, metaverse online, you know, Bea, the Bea world that's being utilized and they're using the metaverse. And some people say, what is the metaverse? Have you watched the movie Avatars? Mm -hmm. That's what the metaverse is. Avatar. And so what happens with that is that uh, being a cyber person myself, you have a, my gentleman here on the front, say you have an avatar, and then I'm a cyber person. I can hack you, use your avatar, and nobody knows that I've taken it from you because the metaverse is just a, um, just an avatar. So you have a lot of security risk there, and it creates problems. And so when you're dealing with those, I mean, it's okay to go with the wave of the future, but someone has to take time to think it through to make sure that you're not putting our country at risk to do that as well. Absolutely. As well as our children's education, because a lot of this technology that we're implementing today dealing with artificial intelligence, it's gonna, it's gonna actually prohibit the students from actually learning and their brains from being exercised the proper way to actually sustain you. So you gotta be careful with all of the technology. I mean, this is my field, I love it, but it also has some negativity to it as well. Absolutely. So um, going back to the topics you're talking about, um, commercializing and the, the different challenges that you had with the software solution. I want us to pivot to talking about some of the challenges that we had. So as we transitioned during COVID, and Jimmy, I want you to start out with this one. Okay. And we talked about um, the remote workforce and being fully mobile and hybrid approach and um, the contracting shop and the government shops trying to work together and how companies are working with you and, and how people actually get access to you doing this environment. So can we talk about how that actually impacted the government side and, and then I'm gonna have the companies talk about how this impacted them as small business trying to get to sure. their client. Sure, uh, looking at my office back when COVID impacted us in a very negative way from a country standpoint, my office actually got more efficient. To stay at home, we had the resources of Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And actually, I, I remember doing one meeting where I had folks over in England, folks in the US, and somebody in, in Hawaii all on the same call via Zoom. And to go back prior to COVID, that would have been $3,000 going that direction to go see that person. That would have been another four or $5,000 to visit the people within continental US. And then I would have had to go to Hawaii to make that same kind of meeting happen in the past where we did it over an hour via Zoom. Wow. So we became more efficient. I actually don't want my staff to ever go back in the office again because they didn't abuse the privilege of being at home and getting work done. So we've got all these methods to communicate. I, you, the government gave me this phone and I have this phone, but yet the government can reach me on either one. I've got a laptop, I've got a computer. Um, it, it, it's amazing the ability that we have to reach someone. Anyone on my staff, I can send a text message and I see the little bubbles coming up. All right, they're working, they're working. They're not even at Walmart, they're out there shopping, running around. It, so, so you make a phone call. Got them on the line, give me a call back. If you can't call me back in 20 minutes, I need to know what you were doing because you weren't near any of these devices that we gave you and you're supposed to be on the clock working. I don't have that with my staff. I don't have any challenges whatsoever. And to tell you the truth how I've gone so far, have an office in the Pentagon, got an office over at the Washington Navy Yard. I gave up one of those offices because I wanted to send a message to the staff. We're never going back in the office again. Mm -hmm. Give it away to other people who still need those resources because you're, you've are you proven yourself to be highly effective 
from a virtual standpoint. That's awesome. So we're, we're excelling in that arena. Good morning, sir. Actually, my question is to you. Okay. Um, might be a little counter to what you just said. Do you think there's a certain value to the face-to-face -face component of meeting people and actually interacting with them face-to-face -face that's being lost with, oh, you know, the rising um, technology of, you know, using Absolutely. Zoom all the time? And um, I can talk from, like, at least a cadet perspective where during the pandemic when we had to go to Zoom all the time, some of us found it really tiring, really draining and sure. getting back to, um, to in-person um, sure. communication was well, kind of better. Well, now, now that we've come out of COVID, you know, uh, to a great extent, I'm back in the office Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays doing those face-to-face -face meetings. So if you're an industry partner or government member of the staff that you want to talk face-to-face, -face, I'm going to be in the office for those three days during the week. And literally, those three days, they get loaded up with in-person meetings because people are tired of that virtual energy that they have to go exhibit. And I'll do face-to-face -face as well. I'm flying out tomorrow. I'm flying to San Diego to go participate in an in-person conference Monday morning. About 800 people are going to be there. Don't mind doing it. Going to make it happen because I don't want anyone to have any regrets about not being able to do business with us because they couldn't hear from me directly. So we're we're getting back to that hybrid situation where it all will work now and being deliberate about how you use each of those tools i think is what we have to be very deliberate because if it's wearing you out to do it virtually come on in the office if you can get through my security to get to where i am you deserve to be there <laughs> so the other panelists are going to ask yeah this one. I, I would i would say um absolutely that there is still value with meeting in person uh, yesterday, two gentlemen flew in from Atlanta to meet me. They literally flew in. We had lunch at 12 o'clock. They flew out at 6 o'clock because they wanted to talk business. But they wanted to meet in person, and I get that. Because some you, you miss some things when you're dealing virtually and on the telephone. Um, and so I definitely see the value in that, and I definitely do it when possible. But I'm also, you know, I, I truly hope that we don't go back to, because there are a lot of people still in the workforce, government, commercial, that are very antiquated in their thought process. So there's, there's still people, even after the whole pandemic, when we all did work from home and the mission happened, there were less distractions. There are still people that are like, but I need you to be in here, Bob. I'm going to need to see you. And you're like, but I did this. So yeah, there is much value in it. So I, I like the hybrid approach. I like the, yeah, we meet in, most of my people, well, actually all of my people telework. Um, so occasionally we get together and that's a good thing. You know, it's nice to see people. Okay, I wanna say one more thing. Like this week, I flew to San Francisco on Monday. I'm still tired today. I but I went to San Francisco to see my employees. I have three employees in San Francisco. It was lovely to meet them in person. So even though we got this contract back in October, for them, just to be able to sit at a table, we talked for about two hours, and then the next day to visit with the client and have a true interaction, I think that it just impacted that contract. Yeah. Um, and it just made it better. And so I definitely still see the value in that. Um, I, I had just the opposite uh, impact, Jimmy. See, that's what uh, I wanted to hear. And, and, and that is, you know, I had four contracts with DISA doing submarine fiber optic cables and IPv6. Um, those are just, uh, 
you know, I don't want to, to, to lose anyone. We had contracts that did undersea cables uh, doing the fiber from certain parts of the world to other classified parts of the world. And that was with IE1 and IE6. And for the, you guys who know DISA, um, you know those, those, those are the infrastructure divisions within DISA. And um, during COVID, I lost all three of those contracts. That's right. Uh, during COVID because I couldn't walk the halls. Typically, there's a planning period and a budget period mm -hmm. yeah. where people you know, are allocating funds uh, and reallocating funds. And I used to be able to walk the halls, mm -hmm. go to uh, and meet with Mont uh, Mr. Montemarero. Uh, and with, um, I think the uh, general was still there at the time uh, that was a Bayer member. And I was able to go in and talk with them well, not having face-to-face -face communication, lo I lost those contracts. And to this day, I'm still trying to get those back. And so I think that there is a real need for face-to-face -face right. communication and oftentimes uh, undervalued. So thank you um, to the panelists. One, one other portion that I just want to plug in for um, some of you is this. When you're actually working in an unclear environment, um, working virtually, in, in that hybrid, you know, the hybrid mode is fine. But when you have a clearance and you have to go into the SCIF, you, you, you can't go into a hybrid or teleworking environment. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the mission and where you are. So I just wanna make sure everybody understands that there are just certain places where you won't be able to utilize that concept because my employees had to go to work every day because of the, yep. the work that they had to do. They couldn't carry the information home with them because they had to stay on site. So you have to have that balance, right? And so I will tell you that some of my employees that I let get a taste of doing teleworking, they're like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Can I get something else? I don't want to go back. But um, you know, I just want to thank all of you for that, those comments on that. So we have a question on the floor, and then we're going to go into our next question. We almost, we have 15 minutes left to talk to you guys. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Barr. I'm an engineering program manager at Lockheed Martin and a Hampton grad, so. Can you compare and contrast working with the federal government directly or a defense contractor like Lockheed or being a first tier, second tier supplier? Um, is there, is there inf information and experiences you can provide about those interactions? Because I'm sure that's a different marketing strategy than yeah. it is working directly with the government directly. Jimmy wants to answer that question first. Yeah. But so, don't get on the soapbox. I'm not gonna get on the soapbox, okay. but. My first three weeks on the job, I had eight small businesses show up on my doorstep and they complained about the That's relationship right. that large industry partners have with small businesses. That's right. Prior to a contract award, you agreed to a certain work share. Once that contract's awarded to the large business, once money starts flowing, the small businesses don't get what they were actually promised right. in those beginnings. So, because I heard it eight times in a short amount of time when I first got on the job, I had to go do something about it. So now I'm hauling in all of the large industry partners. To date, we've done, over the last 13 months, we've had 10 large industry partners come see me on a monthly basis, and I'm basically showing them, here's what you said you were gonna do by way of your mm. contracts. Here's how you're actually executing those work share agreements under your, pro under your program. And there's a mismatch with every single one of those contracts. Every single one. I promise them 30%, they're getting 7%. Mm. So Can I give you a round of applause? <laughs> because that right there is the only way that we're going to move forward. Absolutely. Because a lot of small business really offices, bad. program managers, contracting officers, they are not doing that. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of the reasons is, so my boss, the Secretary of the Navy, 
every time he was a prime, he honored his work share agreements with his subs. But he was on the wrong side of many deals when he was a sub to larger industry partners, and they didn't honor their work share agreements. So to go one step further, prior to these companies sending their CEOs in to see the Secretary of the Navy, I showed the Secretary of the Navy, hey, that particular company's coming in a week and a half. Here's their date on how they're oh, executing on their contracts. So very first question outside of what's your name when your CEO walks in his office is, so how are you doing on your work share agreements with your mm. subcontractors? And if that person didn't get prepared in the week and a half time gap between me showing that company their own data and them sending their boss in, it's a very ugly conversation. And privy of contract is with the prime. I can't do anything about how the prime settles work out with the subs, right. but I can embarrass the heck out of your boss if you're not honoring those contracts. Now, to go a step further beyond embarrassment, and then I'll get out of state, we're now, we got five contracts this fiscal year where we're piloting. We will put incentives in the contract so that you honor your work share agreements. Mm. We are also putting withholds in your contracts if you don't honor your work share agreements. Wow. So it's out. So, <laughs> so wait, 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 Mrs. Mrs. Smith. So now the FAR tells you that you're supposed to give incentives. So what additional incentives are you giving to large companies? in addition to what the FAR tells them that they're supposed to give. Anyway. So we're doing exactly what the FAR now says because we haven't been doing it in the past. Very good. And everybody, typically when you run up to negotiations and you're trying to get a good deal with your industry partner, trying to award a contract, typically that's the first thing traded off is that we're not going to worry about what you do with your subs and we trade that information off. But now we're putting in a position of, of importance to where we care to make sure you honor those agreements because you're reflecting this upon all of us. When they showed up on my doorstep and yelled, it was only because they can't yell at the prime and they can't go get a lawyer because they probably can't afford them to go run back That's and right. beat up on the prime because now I'm cutting off my nose to despite my face that I'm yelling at people who are supposed to give me work and they're not. So what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, small businesses. So, so we're, we're, we're serious about making sure that folks honor their work share agreement. So as a large company, um, make sure that you're policing this from inside the company, that you're doing what you said you were going to do when you brought everybody to the table. And don't to, poach. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to add, just add another point, and that is the SBA actually owns these contracts, you know, so they're actually the primes. Yep. And so when, you know, uh, I'd like to see the SBA take the same position as the Department of the Navy, and that is accountability, because what I actually have seen is this we made a good faith effort yes. to find right. a small minority owned business uh, and we promised on the contract award that we were gonna give 30%, but we made a good faith effort and it's been okay in other administrations for that to be accepted. You know, not accepting that is um, you know, incumbent upon, uh, and Jimmy's spot on, we don't have enough money to go hire a lawyer to fight Lockheed to say, Lockheed said they were gonna give us six bodies on this contract and they didn't actually do so. So that's what I've been seeing in, in the marketplace. Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's, it's one of the reasons why we um, press on um, just being a prime is because we are a sub. Our first contract was a subcontract from a larger uh, contractor. And uh, it's funny because they gave us one body, we ended up getting up to four bodies in our third year, and they, it just stayed there. Um, what I know for sure is, is their percentage was higher for the small 
business um, set aside. People are like, oh, you should, you should go and fight it. I'm like, who has time for that? So we just really started going towards the uh, priming. What's interesting is that our people started dwindling down and then their favorite person, which is my first employee, I ended up pulling her off contract and making her our corporate program manager after five years. Then they, they, they started thinking, I felt like they started thinking, oh, they're pulling out because, I mean, we weren't really pulling out. We had one person left, but then all of a sudden, we started getting wrecks again um, because they saw that like we were not dependent on them. I mean, don't get me wrong, it would be great to go in there and just be their premier, or what do you call it, their uh, primary, uh, sub. primary sub, preferred sub, uh, preferred sub. Um, but I realized that we're not, and so um, we don't necessarily rely on that. We've dealt with other large vendors. Uh, I know one large vendor that used our name, they used our information, and I didn't even realize they had won the contract, and of course, someone I know is like, oh, you know, they won this contract. And that's when I say, you know what, let me just really pivot. Um, and we have really just truly focused on prime contracting since then. Um, don't get me wrong, I would love to work with large businesses, but I recognize how they operate. Not all of them operate that way, but enough of them operate that way that makes me say, okay, let me, uh, let me move over here because I don't want to be relying on them to, to keep, keep my business afloat. I'm going to give you a different um, slide on it just so you to help the big company out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you're a small business and you're working with a large, that you need to have a champion inside of the organization. Mm -hmm. And that helps you to get the work share that you're supposed to have. Because, I mean, for myself, I've had a large that I work with. I started out as their partner, and they said, Erica, we're only going to give you five people. But as we came in and we showed our self-worth and we developed our relationship, I went from five people to 15 people. So it's about building the relationship, as we talked about in the beginning of this um, panel. The other thing I will say to you is that as a small business, to you as a big, um, if you are not uh, doing your fair share towards the small business, um, the, the small business stand a risk of losing the contract itself. So that's why most of them don't say anything or complain to the superiors about it because they want to keep that one contract. The other thing that I've experienced is that I've had um, larges put me on the proposal, get the work, and not even, like Ms. Windsor said, not even add me to the team, and they're still carrying my um, socioeconomic status that I am on the team. And so what happened, ironically, is that I went to a small business Osibu office, and they said, well, Erica, this is the best um, large prime that we have here. Um, you need to call them about being on their team. I said I did, and they took the work from me. She says, no, they're showing me statistics that you're on their team. <laughs> So there's another, that's a flaw, right? That they're taking credit for having small businesses on their team when in fact they're not doing anything. So that goes that's back crazy. to what Admiral Watson always say, drop the mic, right? Cross the street, go commercial, do things for yourself, become your own prime. And I'll tell you as a small business myself, it's great being a prime, mm -hmm. right? It's great being your own prime because you can control the destiny, but more importantly, you can give back to other small businesses that look like you, and that's yeah, the and, best and thing ever. Yeah, let me say something to that, and Erica knows because they're one of them. We are a small business, but we have eight subcontractors. We work well with other companies, and, and Erica knows when I get opportunities where I can't fill a position, I'm not greedy, you know, because always remember this, write this down, 49% of zero is zero. <laughs> you understand? So it's nice to try to hoard the work, but to me, working with other small businesses, doing what I say I'm going to do, I tell people, sometimes people bring me opportunities, and I tell them, especially if it's like an 8A, which means it's set aside, 
I tell them I'm gonna get you as close to 49% as possible. But yeah, so we do what we expect the large businesses to do for us. So help us out. <laughs> and and the, what's the most important thing you can do for a small business? Give them some work. Give them some work. Don't talk to them, give yeah. them some work. Because we love advice, but we love work. <laughs> Uh, Florence Taylor, currently with L3 Harris. Uh, I work with the cyber security department. Um, but on the side, uh, I try to do business, but maybe not as formalized as, as you know it should be. So I've been trying to get sort of like registered, uh, managed to register like an LLC. Then I'm trying to get registered as an SBA and as a women-owned business. Mm -hmm. And it's very complicated for me. So what I wanted to know are there resources out there that can help with those sure. initial uh, stages. And then the second question is, um, so far what I've been doing is very, I'm gonna call it kind of like non-skilled uh, business, so in the commercial clean and transportation haulage, but I'm seeing the panel that's here that's really going deep into some of the things that probably I've experienced or done in the work field as an employee, and I'd like to sort of like venture into that. So crossing into that, what are some of the tips that you might give to be able to move into that, yeah? First thing I would say is go on online. SBA.gov has got virtual uh, classes that you can take so that you understand how to structure your business both from a, uh, a corporate perspective as well as a tax perspective. And you, you need to understand very clearly you know, how to protect your own personal assets from your company, and you'll need legal advice in order to do that. So I would start there. There are, I think, 13 classes that the SBA offers, and you can do them uh, at your own pace. So that, that would be the first thing. The second thing is, you know, you're in cyber now. The, the, the real nugget is that for all that you've done, when you start your company, you have no past performance. You know, it's an eye-opening experience because you think, because I've done all this cyber work for the government or for some other entity, that because you start your company, that you, you can bring that with you. You bring that knowledge with you, but that past performance is not yours uh, until you actually do it under your company. So th that would be the advice that I would have for you. So PTAC, I wanted to say also yeah. reach out to the, it's, I was trying to Google it really PTAC quick. PTAC is the Procurement Technical Assistance they Center. The yeah, there is one. They changed the title. Oh, what is it? What is it? They changed the title. Apex Accelerators. Apex Accelerators. Okay, look that up too. Score. <laughs> score. Or score, yeah. So S C O R E. Um, Apex Accelerators. Probably if you put in PTAC, you will still probably get Apex Accelerators. Yes, but these are these are organizations that they're free. Um, I think they're grant-run organizations, grant. but you go in there, they will give you a person, a person that will, sub, that will help you from beginning to end. They'll help you establish your business. They will help you figure out how to enter into government contracting. They will help you enter, you know, enter into commercial contracting. And a point that, that Hayes made about your cybersecurity now, but think about the knowledge that you have that you could give to someone like me. I'm not in commercial, but you're in commercial. You can teach other small businesses that may be squarely in government how to do business with the commercial sector. So there's so much stuff, like sit down, write a list. These are the things I know for sure that I can help somewhat, one with. Okay, but, but Just you, one quick thing. Remember, as a CEO and a company owner, it's not what you can do, it's what you can have employees do. Exactly. What you can That's make a mindset. Happen. Yes.
So I wanna, yes. I wanna just make a statement about your past performance because um, it's a misnomer. So your resume, when you start out your company, is your past performance. Mm -hmm. And you will learn that when you go to PTAC and SCORE. Mm -hmm. And they will help you to write your capability statement based upon your resume. So when you, yes, yeah. whatever yeah. resume you have, I just wanna make sure you know that. Whatever resume you have, when you go to the SCORE and to the PTAC organization, they will assist you with writing your capability statement based upon your resume because you are your company as the individual. So as the individual, those are your past performance. So before we leave today, I just wanna thank all of my esteemed panelists for being here with us today and sharing their knowledge. And I'm gonna ask one in particular to stand up with us, uh, Mr. Smith, if he would stand with me today. I just wanna thank you for everything you've done. Come on. So, so, Erica, so Erica also knows that I'm retiring in April. <laughs> So many people are not aware that um, Jimmy, Jimmy is retiring in April, and I know m many of you did not know that. And so um, I know from my vantage point coming to Bayer, because I came to Bayer in the 90s as well, because I was also a, a Black Engineer of the Year um, awardee from Bayer in the early 90s. And so I know your face was here when, you know, around when I came. And so I want to just say to you today, thank you so kindly for all of the dedication that you've given to this small business panel, because you've been a part of this fabric for years and helping us to shape the questions and how we should actually address the audience and things of that nature. So. so with that being said, um, that concludes our session for the day. We want to thank you all for coming out to be with us. And if you have any additional questions, especially the women in the room, um, Ms. Windsor and I are standing up front. We can assist you with those questions.